Good to see you this morning. We're glad that you are here, and uh, hopefully you've had a good week. We're in week three of our comeback series, and I was thinking this week as I was preparing and, and just thinking about the series and, and all the feedback that we've been getting, I, I'm tempted to make the comeback an annual fall series. I, I don't know. Like, I think when, it, when next fall approaches, we're going to think, let's, let's, let's roll the comeback uh, thing again. Not preach the same sermons again, but use the, the comeback theme. Uh, many people have been coming back to church, which is, which is exciting. Uh, people have been coming back to Moncton Wesleyan, which is exciting. But most importantly, people have been coming back to Jesus Christ and taking uh, great spiritual steps this fall. And that's really why we do what we do. And that's most exciting. So we're glad that you're here. Uh, hey, last Sunday, we had that over and above special offering for the Ebola crisis in Western Africa, and you gave $2,300 to that. And I think, uh, I think you should give yourselves a, hand, a round of applause for that. Uh, that's pretty cool. You know, 2300 over and above at a small vase in the Welcome Center is, is significant. And uh, so thank you for that. You're a generous group of people, and you always step up when there's a need. And uh, so I just thank you for that. Um, we said in week one of the series that the Bible is full of comeback stories, Someone messes up and then they make a comeback uh, or somebody uh, faces ridiculous odds. It just seems impossible and they make a comeback or someone has something happen that challenges their beliefs and they, they test their faith to the very core, and then they make a comeback to God or to Jesus Christ. And over and over, God is showing us his rhythm of grace through the, through the Bible. He's the God who, who pursues us. He's the God who invites us. He welcomes us back. God is always looking to show us his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and restoration. And uh, this is... This next statement is, is uber obvious, but let's just state the obvious because I'm a man and the more obvious it is, the better. <laughs> if the Bible is full of, of situations where God is inviting people to, to make a comeback, then it, this is the, the uber obvious part. Then it is also full of people who, who wander and they drift away and they, they, they get away from where uh, God wants them to be. In fact, the Bible says that we're all like sheep. I thought right there someone would ba. I thought I'd get at least one ba. That we're all like sheep, and and like sheep, we we just we get our nose down and we get we get distracted and we make wrong choices. Sometimes uh, we're just stubborn. Any stubborn sheep out there that you know willing to admit it? There you go. Way to go, good sheep. And sometimes we're just stubborn and we turn our back on the shepherd, even though you hear the shepherd's voice. You're like, no, 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 I'm not listening. And we, and we just go our own way. The Bible is not, it's not a book about perfect people who are so much better than you that you'll never be able to live this way. The Bible is a book about messed up people who keep coming back to a God who always loves them, regardless of where they've been or what they've done. And uh, so you can make a comeback this morning. Now, if someone asks you, okay, why, why do you even believe? Why do you believe that the Bible is true? Um, one of the ways that we know that the Bible is the inspired word of God is because of, there are some, some stories and some details in the Bible 
that if, if you and I were writing it, we, would, we wouldn't put those things in there. We'd like, oh my, I can't say that. I can't, I can't, I don't even want to talk about that. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, we, we, generations are going to be reading this and kids are going to be reading this. And, and we, would, we would change all the stories to make them sound better than they really are. And one of the ways that we know that it's, it's the real deal is, uh, is how, you know, some of these things are in here. Uh, if it was up to us, we'd sweep th- some things under the rug. We'd make people look better, not worse. And David is a great example of this. David is remembered as Israel's greatest king, a man after God's own heart. And if you or I were writing the story about the, the person chosen by God to be your greatest leader, you probably would not portray him as a selfish, lusting womanizer who would rather kill a man than own up to his own sin. If we were writing that, we'd, we'd, we'd make him look a little, a little better than that. These are not the stories that you would want your children to grow up memorizing. Uh, this is not the legacy or the heritage that you would want to raise future generations on. And, and, and it's not, that's not just not true about David. That could be true about uh, some of us right here, right? There might be some things in your, in your timeline, in, in your family's history, that you wish that you could sweep under the rug, Right? Uh, there's probably some stuff back there that you're hoping the grandkids will never find out about. Right? Let's, let's, let's not talk about, about that. And if someone was writing your biography, you would want final editing rights to make sure that there are certain things about you that they did not include. There are things that you would blot out. You'd be like, let's just skip that chapter altogether, right? Now, I joke a lot about, about being from uh, Graham and Ann, and we have a few others here in the church with Graham and Ann roots, so I need to be careful, right? Uh, so, but anyhow, uh, we joke that if your family tree looks more like a wreath, you might be from Graham and Ann. <laughs> right? Like if you go to a family reunion thinking, I might actually find a spouse here, you might be from Graham and Ann. <laughs> I've got to be careful. And, and I'm sure that there's, there's some stuff back there that nobody wants to talk about. You know, let's just forget that happened. Let's just move on. Can we not go there? And, and let's, just, let's just pretend, right? Let's, let's write the story a different way. But the Bible doesn't do that with David. It just, it just gives us all the, all the details, and uh, it's pretty, pretty straight up. The Bible doesn't hide David's sin. It doesn't make him, it doesn't protect him or make him out to be something better than he really really was. He's human. He battles temptation. He left God out of a lot of his decisions. He tried to hide his sin. He tried to cover up his sin. He sees a woman bathing, and he lusts over her to the point that she gets pregnant. Um, Just figure that one out. And he brings her husband home from battle, thinking he's been gone for a long time. He'll come home and uh, they'll sleep together, and then the, he'll realize that she's pregnant, and he'll think that it's his kid, and, and I'll, I'll be off the hook. But he comes home, and he's like, no, this isn't fair to all my buddies who are out there serving on the front line. I'm just, I'm not even going to go in the same room with her. Like, he's, he's a better man than the king is. And so David will go to any length to cover up his sin, and he sends Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, out to the very, very front line. He gives this command from the king that uh, the next time we go to, go out, the next morning, I want him to be like the first, the first guy out. How would you like to be that guy, right? It's like, you know, if we're going out to battle and you're first. 
great, right? It's over. And uh, so he, that's what happens, and it's murder. And uh, that, in a nutshell, is the story. And one of the things that we learn right away is that you can't cover up sin with more sin. Right? We do, we're good at that. We just, I'm in a hole. I think I'm going to keep digging. I'm going to make a bigger hole. Right? And, and you think that we would learn that you can't cover up sin with more sin. Even though we know that to be true, we, we still try to do it. The only thing that covers sin is God's grace. Grace comes from the cross of Jesus Christ. You can't fix your own sin. Only God's grace, only by God's grace, by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, can you cover up your sin. And so by the time we catch up with David in 2 Samuel chapter 24, by the time we're, we're going to drop in on him here, we're going to find a repentant king. He's a leader now who's, who's learned how to put people ahead of power. And he's more interested in submitting to God's power than, than asserting his royal power. He's been humbled, he's contrite, he's wise, he's discerning. And in 2 Samuel chapter 24, and we're going to read verses 18 through 25. 2 Samuel chapter 24, and we're going to read verses 18 to 25. Here we go. That day Gad, Gad was the father of Yegad, um, I made that up, came to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. So David went up to do what the Lord had commanded him. And when Aruna saw the king and his men coming toward him, he came and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Why have you come, my lord, the king? Aruna asked. And David replied, I've come to buy your threshing floor and to build an altar to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. I'll explain the plague here in a, in a moment. Take it, my lord the king, and use it as you wish, Aruna said to David. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and you can use the threshing boards and ox yokes for wood to build a fire on the altar. I will give it all to you, your majesty, and may the Lord your God accept your sacrifice. But the king replied to Aruna, No, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the, for the threshing floor and the oxen. And David built an altar there to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the Lord answered his prayer for the land. And the plague on Israel was, was stopped. Chapter 24 of 2 Samuel. If you go back and, and read it as homework uh, this afternoon, it's, it's perplexing. It's challenging. Uh, it begins with God punishing the people with a census, which is kind of funny. Like, if you've ever been part of a census? You're like, oh, okay. Well, God doesn't even like census. Like, why do we do that? And, uh, and so it begins with God punishing the people with a census, which doesn't sound like a big deal to us. Of course not. You do it online. I got two kids, a dog, five minutes, and I'm done, right? It's easy. But David forces his census on the people. He forces it on his commanders. And the scripture tells us that it takes them nine months and 20 days to travel the entire country to figure out how many Skittles they have in the bag. Then, after they take the, the census, David feels guilty about this for, for putting the people through all of this, this nonsense. And he begs God to forgive them. And the whole the whole. The whole thing is kind of perplexing. So anyhow, David works out this deal with God and he takes 
uh, he has to choose which, you know, which punishment do you want? And he chooses a plague, and a sickness comes over Israel, and 70,000 people die in three days. And as the sickness is approaching Jerusalem, David goes out to this, this threshing floor of Arunas, and he sees, he sees the angel. God has an angel that's actually carrying out this sickness and, and sweeping across the land. And David goes out and confronts the angel. And it says to him, you know, basically, stop right there. Uh, you, you know, you've come far enough. And I'm the guilty one. Take my life. The people are innocent. Let the people live. And that's where, we, that's where we're at when we pick it up in verse 18 of 2 Samuel chapter 24. With God telling David, okay, now go up onto this, this threshing floor area and build an altar there. So what's, what's, what's important for us to notice is that the plague ends where the worship begins. That's good. The plague ends, the sickness ends where the worship begins. The plague ends at the altar. Look closely at verses 18 uh, to the second part of verse 19. Let's see if we have it up here on the screen. I'll get my chair out of the way where we can see. All right. That day, Gad came to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord uh, on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. So David went up to do what the Lord had commanded him to do. David went up to do. God said, Go up. And so David went up. Yielding to God always yields great things in our lives. Yielding to God always yields great things in our lives. When we submit to God, when we say, Lord, you know, what is, I'm listening. What do you want me to do? I'll do anything that you want me to do. When you, when you live with a, with a heart that is wide open, when you live with a life that is full surrender, when you live in a way that I'm just, I'm just not holding anything back, I'll do whatever you want me to do. When you're yielding to God, that always yields good things in our lives. And so David is dialed into God's voice. He's dialed into God's direction. Whatever God wants for his life. The David we're looking at now, it's a different, it's a different king. It's a different David. He's made his comeback. He's tired of doing it his way. He's tired of, uh, of ignoring God. He tried blowing through all the, all the guardrails. And he, he was blowing through all the, the warning signs that God put in his life. And he's seen what a mess he can make of his life when you try to cover up sin with more sin. And, and now David's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of that. I've tried doing it my own way. And I, I just want to listen to God. I just want to submit my life to whatever God wants to do. In my life, and we're not all that different from David. It takes a few really tough lessons for God to, to really get our attention. Because we're thick. <laughs> and we're stubborn. And we think we know better. And we just tune God out. We, we, we turn down the volume of God's voice in our lives. And we just, we just go our own way. We're not a whole lot different from David. And, and, and it takes a while for God to really get our attention to where we finally tune our ears and our heart toward heaven. And we say, God, I'm listening. I, you got me. You, you got me. And I am, I am wide awake and I am dialed in and I am totally listening to, to you today. Whatever you tell me to do, I will do with immediate obedience, no hesitation. 
God told David to go up, and David went up. And yielding to God yields good things in our lives. I mean, do you enjoy telling your kids to do something 17 times? 44 times? 192 times? Like, you know, you just, come on, you know? Would you just, would you? And God, God must feel that way with us sometimes. Like, how many times do we have to go over? I'm telling you, would you just, would you just listen to what I'm trying to say? The threshing floor was, was, a, was a large, uh, flat stone area where they would, you know, I mean, this is obviously no machinery. They've got to go out and, and, and cut the, the tall grains and bundle the grains and carry the grains, uh, you know, get the grains off the field up to the threshing floor area. And it's this large, uh, generally, you know, circular flat stone floor. And they would have, like, either the, the large heavy animals just thresh. And, and walk around and just, just, just stomp on the grain and, and get everything broken up and, and loosen it. Or they would literally, you know, take, uh, take sticks and beat it and beat it and just kind of beat the, the good stuff out of the grain, get the valuable grain from the plant. And so the threshing floor is a really important part of the community where they harvest all their grains to make all of their breads for, you know, until the next harvest season comes around. And so you, it's very important. You've got to have a good season and you've got to get a lot of grain for the entire community. It's, it's, it's as important as the olive press uh, in that community. It's vital. So look at verse 22. David says, uh, I, I need to have the threshing floor. And look at how Aruna responds to, to David the king. Take it. <laughs> just, just like that. Oh, Oh, you need something really important. You, you're here to ask for something very valuable. You, you're asking us for something that, that, that is a, a critical part of our community. And Aruna says, take it. Take it, my Lord, the king, and use it. Use it as you wish, Aruna says to David. Aruna's response to David is almost as important as David's response to the Lord. When the king comes to him with a need... He responds with immediate generosity and giving. When the king comes and asks you for something, Aruna responds with immediate generosity and giving. Here. Oh, the king. You want... Here. Here it is. Take whatever you want. Aruna recognizes David as his king. Here. Take the, the, fresh, the threshing floor, and while you're at it, you may as well take my oxen. <laughs> I won't need them anymore because you just took the floor. So here, you may as well take the, take the oxen. Here's the, the boards that we have around the threshing floor. Take those boards. You can use those for a fire. Take the, the big wooden uh, yokes that the oxen had been using. We are not going to need those anymore. Here, I'll give you those two. If God wants a fire, let's build him a fire. If God wants me to give towards this fire, I'm not going to hold anything back. Take it all. Aruna wasn't counting the cost. He wasn't like, oh my soul, this is, this is, this is a doozy. He was counting the cost of, 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 it would cost him more if he was to hold on to those things. If there was any cost that he was counting, it might have been the cost of, of refusing the king or holding back from the king. 
He knows that if he holds out on God, it'll cost him way more in the end than just a stone floor and a few large, heavy animals. Two things that I know to be true this morning. Number one, God wants to build a fire in your life and you need to make the necessary sacrifices that will fuel that fire. God wants an altar burning bright in your life, in your heart. God wants to set you on fire for Jesus Christ. God wants your life to be a living sacrifice. And you have to make those sacrifices. You have to say, I'll give whatever it takes, whatever it requires, whatever I have to throw on that fire. If it's the really big, heavy things in my life, I'll throw those on. If it's the wood, whatever it is, whatever it takes, I'm willing to put anything on that fire because I I want to burn bright for Jesus Christ. So I know that to be true, that God wants a fire in your lives this morning. Some of you need a fire right now. You need me to go around and, and, and light a fire. First service, come on, wakey, wakey, let's go. Are you with me? All right, do you want a fire in your life for Jesus Christ? All right, all right, all right, all right, good. So that's it. That's number one. God wants to build a fire in your life. Number two, God wants to build a fire in this church. And and if God is going to build a fire in this church, then it takes all of us, all of us, all in. Say, take it all, Lord. You can have everything. There's nothing we want more than for this church to burn bright for Jesus Christ in this community. Nothing. What's more important? What's more important? I can, you know, I could name a whole bunch of things. I'm getting excited here and losing my microphone. There are, there are other good things. There are other valuable things. Church isn't the only thing. But, but rescuing people from hell is a big deal. It's a big deal. And, and we have a God-given mission in our community. And God wants to set this church on fire. And, and it just won't happen if 80% of the people just sit there and think, well, maybe someone else will catch on fire. It's Really, it's got to be the entire church saying we're all in. We're all in. We're all for Jesus. And we will give it all. And he can take it all. And and we'll do whatever it takes to see this church uh, burn bright for Jesus Christ. My vision is to see every single life in this room right now burning bright for Jesus Christ. I want this for everyone. I want this for, for all of you. That, that we would be living sacrifices to the Lord. I don't, want you to be, I don't want you to be dry. I don't want you to be dead. I don't want you to be soaking, wringing, wet. Uh, I don't want you to be rusty. I want you to be on fire, blazing, burning bright for Jesus Christ. I want your relationship with Jesus to be so fired up that, that God is just blazing in you every day that you're dialed in, that you're, you're, you're listening to the Holy Spirit like David. Like, tell me where you want me to go. I'll go. That you you would just be a lean, mean, temptation-fighting machine. That you'd be loving others. That you would be positive, assuming up. You'd be prayerful. You'd be peaceful. You'd be compassionate, patient. You'd be generous. You'd be on fire for Jesus Christ. Get a church full of people like that, and the world will come to watch us burn. They will. They'll be like... They will. They're like, what in the world is going on at the Moncton Western Church? I'm not missing it. I'm telling you, I'm going to be there Sunday morning. The people would be lined up. I, lineups bug me these days because I just have this vision of people waiting for the church doors to be open in my mind for the future. 
I had this vision of people thinking on Sunday morning, I've, I've got to go early so that I get a seat. Like right now you're thinking, if I'm lucky, I might get a whole row to myself. Like I could lay down. Right? And, and I have, I have the, this vision of, of people thinking, I've got to get there uh, to get a good seat. And, and, that, and that you people who've been here for years would think, I need to go early to get a bad parking spot. I, we, come on, we got to go so we can park as far away from the church as we can park so that all the good spaces are available for, for guests and visitors. You okay with that? <laughs> Four of you are. Followers, followers of, of Jesus, fully, fully devoted followers of Jesus don't care where they park. Fully devoted followers of Jesus don't care where they sit. Fully devoted followers of Jesus would sit in the lobby and watch on TV if you thought someone else was in here uh, be, getting saved for Jesus Christ. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. <laughs> like, no, I don't think I would. Yeah, you would. Of course you would. If it meant someone would go to heaven. Sure you would. So I want this place to be a place where the presence of God is on fire. Where our worship is genuine. Where people are being healed and set free. Where relationships are restored. Where people of all ages, not just the kids, seniors, people of all ages are are coming to Jesus Christ. Where you don't even have to remind people about a prayer meeting. Oh God, give me that day. Where you don't even have to remind people about a prayer meeting. Where people can't wait for Sunday. And they can't wait to get in here to be in God's presence. And to hear from God's word. Canada has enough dead churches. I want a church that's on fire for Jesus. So, Aruna, where are you going to go thresh out your greens now? Doesn't matter. We'll figure it out. Where will you find oxen to work the floor and help separate the wheat from the chaff? Don't know. We'll figure it out. When the king asks you for an offering, even if it doesn't make sense, give the king what he wants. Give the king whatever he asked for. And all that David asked for really was the floor. I need the floor. And Aruna went for the ceiling. I'm going to give you the floor and more. I'm going all, I'm going all the way. You're going to get the floor. You're going to get the wood. You're going to get the oxen. You're, going to get the, you're getting the whole, the whole deal. Take it all, over and above. Don't stop at the floor if God is asking you for more. Verse 23. Verse 23. He says, I'll give it all to you, your majesty. And, the may, and may the Lord your God accept your sacrifice. I'll give it all to you, your majesty. And may the Lord your God accept your sacrifice. There are... There are two kings, two sacrifices, and two offerings in this story. David is a king who serves the king of kings. And even though Aruna is offering the floor to David for free, David knows in his heart that God has called him there to sacrifice. And and he doesn't dare do anything less. I just... 
I hope you catch this this morning, that Aruna gave David a good deal, and David's like, I, I, it's tempting, or, you know, whatever. I mean, he doesn't say that, but he just, he just knows that he can't accept it for free because God has asked him to sacrifice, and he does not dare do anything less. He doesn't, doesn't dare do anything but give God a sacrifice that God is worthy of. And that's huge. Verse 24, where David says, I will not, I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. Now, let's get this right this morning. You cannot buy your way into heaven. You can't buy your way into God's good graces. His grace is free. You can't earn it. We don't deserve it. God spoke directly to David, and David knew what he had to do. And he was, David was, was keenly aware of all that God had done for him, right? It's like all the times that God could have said, look, you're, you're not fit, you're not, you're not worthy to be king, I'm, you know, I'm going to take your life or, or, or whatever. So he was keenly aware of, of all that God had done in his life. How God had bailed him out, how God had restored him. How God had given him second chances and third chances and fourth chances and so on. And in light of all that God had done for him, in view of the the lavish ways that God had had poured out his blessings in, in David's life, David did not dare rip off God or give God a sacrifice that didn't cost him anything. Now, let me ask the question this morning. How much has God done for you? How much has God done for you? How thankful are we for the riches that God has poured out in our lives? How, how blessed are you? When was the last time that you did something for God that, that required real sacrifice? Something lavish. Something that didn't make sense. Imagine, imagine Aruna's wife. You did What? <laughs> You gave him what? Are you out of your mind? What did? You, what were you thinking? Or the people who showed up to to the threshing floor the next morning to work, <laughs> and David's built this giant ox barbecue to the Lord on their threshing floor. You're like, what? Do we give sacrificially? Or do we give out of our comfort? We're very calculated in our giving. We, we, we look for the floor. What's the bare minimum? What does God require? How much can I, can I give and, and, and still get in? What's the least amount that I can give and get away with? You see, sometimes the comeback involves a give back. Sometimes when God speaks to us and he says, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm drawing you back. I want you to come back. Let's, let's restore this relationship. Sometimes it requires a give back. Don't try to worship God without counting the cost. Somewhere along the line, we got it in our head that just, just showing up at church was a big sacrifice. Look at me. 
I, I went to church. God, look what I did. I went to church for an hour and 10 minutes. I even smiled at that really annoying person. When they did the greeting and I turned around, they were right behind me. I didn't have any choice. And I, and I smiled. I stayed awake through most of it. I put some money in the offering. I even bought pizza for those little kids in Haiti. Look at me. Big sacrifice. And I know, there's, there's, I know we've got to be careful. You can't take this story and just say, okay, do that and God will answer every prayer in your life. I know it doesn't work that way. It's not that simple. But we do know from Scripture as a whole and from our own personal experiences that there are specific disciplines in this story that God chooses to bless and work through. There's some, there are some truths, there are some disciplines in this story that just seem to keep us under the spout of grace. And here they are. There's four of them. Obedience. That's the first one. God says to David, go up. David went up. He's just like, <laughs> I'm listening. I'm dialed in. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. The next one. Sacrifice. Aruna gives the ceiling. He doesn't just give David the floor. He says, here it is. Take it all. He goes over and above. The third one, offering. David refuses to take it for nothing. He says, no, 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 no. That's really kind. It's really nice. But, but this sacrifice needs to cost me something. And I'm going, to, I'm going to make a sacrifice before the Lord. And then the last one, worship. David builds an altar and offers God his best. Obedience, sacrifice, offering, and worship. Yielding to God always yields good things in our lives. So I would encourage us this morning, Moncton Wesleyan, to not hold back. Don't hold back. You'll never miss something that you give to God. You can, you can make a lot of bad decisions in life. We all have. But you won't miss, you won't regret what you give to God. Give God your all. Surrender everything. Um, <clears throat> I'll suggest a few things, but really what, what we want is for the Holy Spirit to be speaking to you specifically about what, what sacrifice means for you today. Maybe you've been comfortable. And maybe God's inviting you to make a comeback and hopefully he'll speak, you know, something specific, particular into your life. But, but for some, maybe it's time. Maybe like 98% of your time is yours. And, 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 and you've pushed God out of your time. And, uh, and he, he, just, he just gets just such a small, small piece of your time each week. And when you do, you think, wow, I got up early and I brushed my teeth and I went to church. What sacrifice? And God's like, where have you been the rest of the week? Like, how are you, how are you serving with your time? How are you, uh, how are you involved in kingdom work? And so we might be speaking to you about that. Priorities. And only giving God your leftovers. Um, giving. Finances. Giving. It really could be that today. And, and you might think, well, you know, I, 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 put, a, I put in my, my offering. God might say, well, 
I'm asking for a sacrifice. I'm asking for, for a sacrifice. Um, the tithe, by the way, which, which can sound like so much to people, the tithe is not the ceiling. The tithe is the floor. Uh-huh. The, the tithe is what God expects. And then your offerings over and above. That's where you, that's where you pour it out. Maybe your comeback is a give back. It could be today that, that the sacrifice that you need to make is to give God your life. And maybe you're here this morning, you realize, you know what? I've, I've never made, I've never made that, that decision. I've never taken that step. Maybe you've been here on Sunday mornings where you've seen other people stand to their feet saying, today was the day that I prayed that prayer. And, 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 and you've been close and you've thought about it, but just mm, uh, maybe... Maybe you get up this morning and you said, well, if he, makes, if he gives that invitation today, today's the day that I'm going to trust Jesus Christ with my life. And I'm going to invite him to be Lord of my life. So let's, let's pray together. God, I pray for our church, your church, this church right here. Lord, you know that, that the cry of my heart and the vision that you have given to me is that we would be a church on fire for you. And Lord, I believe that your, your word and your Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts right now, speaking to people who have been comfortable. And you're waking them up and you're shaking them up and you're saying, let's get into a season of sacrifice. Let's get into a season where, where you are on fire for me. Let's get into a season where you're not holding anything back in your life, where I have it all, where I have your heart and your whole life totally surrendered. And you're listening to me intently. And wherever I tell you to go, whatever I speak into your life, you don't hesitate. You just give it. You just surrender. You just go there. God, I know you're speaking to many about that right now. And, and Lord, I just pray that you would help us not to hold back, help us to come back. Lord, for others here this morning who, who maybe realize that today is the day they need to cross the line of faith and trust you as their Savior, I pray, Lord, that you would help them to make this most important decision right now and simply pray this prayer with me. They can pray it out loud. They can pray it in their heart. You will hear it. Jesus Christ, I believe you're a God's son. I believe you came to this earth, that you died on a cross for my sin that you were resurrected, that you rose again, that your presence is here right now, and you're giving me this opportunity to simply accept you by faith and say, Jesus, would you come into my life, come into my heart, that you would forgive me of every sin that I've ever done, that you would make me your child, that you would uh, live in my life, and that you would help me to follow you and serve you for the rest of my life. And I realize, Jesus, right now that following you is not just a decision that I make in this moment. It's a lifestyle I choose for the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for, for coming into my heart, for coming into my life right now. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen.